This program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Share Your Hotness with your host, Lita Green, and my friend, Becky Ivory. Okay, and so my friend, tell us, tell the audience how we know each other. We've been connected for a long time through the whole speaking world and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, we actually met each other before that. It's the weirdest thing. One day I had, I wanted some lip scents and I was like, I'm in a hurry. I'm, I was going to something that I was speaking at or something. And I didn't know where to get any because I just borrowed some from somebody else and really liked it. So I looked up lip sense dealers and you were like the closest and I called you and you were like, yes, come on over. And I went over and you helped me find some and we drove off. And then years later, when I walked into the National Speakers Association, I was like, do I know? What is my lip sense lady doing here? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So then um, it was just kind of fun to sit back in the NSA and and uh, kind of watch your personality and see how well you work with other people. And then, of course, we are both survivors of child sexual abuse. And that was something that we um, kind of came together on and thought about doing some projects together. And yes, and, um, which yeah. prior to the pandemic, because I know you're on my yeah. list and and we just need to get that going. I mean, we literally, the day the pandemic broke out, you know, March 13th, right? They, they were like shutting everything down. Uh-huh. My meeting planner, Connie Zeller, was on her way to go sign the contract. And I was headed to California for to go be selling, you know, lip scent synogens, you know? Mm-hmm. And my husband's like, I don't know if this is going to, you know, like there's something weird coming. And I'm like, I'm on a contract. Like, you know, I mean, what are we going to do? Shut yeah. down California? right? Like I'm in contract 505 miles into my trip. And I get the call that literally California is closed. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That's so I drive around and on the way back, you know, I'm talking into my phone, giving me to-do lists. And so that, that two weeks of, you know, flatten the curve, I was living my best life. I was getting all my projects done <laughs> and my, my daughter's like, mom, I think you're the only person I know that like really has enjoyed this time. <laughs> I'm like, I, I, I have no Wait, problem. Two weeks keeping off, you know, <laughs> two weeks off is fun. Two years off. Not so much fun. Well, yeah. no, I, um, I savored the whole time, <laughs> you know, yeah, but as speakers, yeah. as you know, but my media company thus enters long story short, the podcast, right? Gotcha. But we we are, you know, got to keep loving on our people, right? Mm-hmm. So that's hilarious that we go all the way. I didn't remember that, but thank I you know. for letting me be your lips and source and um, anyone else out there who needs a good source. I mean, dealer, I'm, I'm here <laughs> for you. <laughs> uh, you know, just working in between my podcast and the other two other things I do. And it's crazy. So um, Becky, let's, because you brought it up. And it's always nice in a podcast when you can go like deep and in, right? Absolutely. And 
pretend it's just us and all the people that listen. <laughs> oh, I'm good. Right? I'm good. But um, one thing that I love about you and was excited to have you on is that you, not to pat my own self, but we are not people that you would look at and think, oh, they've been through it. Uh huh. Uh-huh. And I think, you know, with the Me Too movement, it was this whole entire message, which is why I spoke out. And I want to make sure you're sharing this, but you know, I'm more than what's happened to me. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I, I wasn't hiding it, but it wasn't like, hi, I'm Lita. My baby died. I've been molested. You know what I mean? Um, so, you know, we have more important things like the light that we give. So please tell, tell, you know, remind, you know, tell me, but it's for the audience. Um, why did you decide to speak out? Why you decided to put this out there, but also just a little bit about what's happened to you. So I hand you the floor to kind of set this up. Okay. Well, um, I grew up with a single mom. They get, my parents were divorced when I was eight. And mm-hmm. from that experience, got a lot of anxiety, a lot of, you know, what a lot of us experience, um, that feeling of, you know, I'm not good enough. I don't fit in anywhere. And that primed me perfectly to become a victim of, uh, yeah. of sex abuse when I was in and targeted. Time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You absolutely. Know, they, I, I literally read part of a handbook and like I had to purge my soul after reading this yeah. Yeah. that literally it's to go after single moms because they need that validation. They need that. And you can do that with, and words. they need help. They, they like, they need yes. help raising their kids. Right. They need, I, well, you know, we all need help, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, you know yeah. the takes a village, right. Is definitely, <laughs> yeah. we get so isolated, but especially, um, single parents. And I throw in, um, single dads there, you know, yeah, absolutely. Because I don't like to discount them, but you know, single moms, you know, we, as women want to, I mean, everybody that is this way, but we all want to just be loved. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, in junior high, um, one of my talents has always been singing and my uh, choir teacher befriended me, um, female, a member of the same church, um, not somebody you would ever, ever, ever suspect as, of being an abuser. And um, over a couple of years, did went through the grooming process of being isolated from friends, family, that sort of thing. And then finally, she started crossing the line and the sexual abuse continued for four years. Oh, I was 14 and, um, I didn't tell anyone. I just kind of lived two lives. I, on one, you know, when everybody else saw me, I was perfectly fine and happy and successful and all that stuff. And they didn't really know what was going on the other half of me. Um, and honestly, as a child, you blame yourself anyway. So I didn't really know I was being abused. I just thought I was doing terrible things that I could never let anybody else know about. Well, that's the thing that's so insidious about abuse, isn't it? Is Absolutely. that they don't just touch your body. I mean, that I think you can. You I can get over that much more than what it does to your mind. I remember, you know, I had someone that yelled at me as, you know, I got yelled at a lot as a kid and I'm trying to be gracious, but um, I remember just thinking, just hit me just hit me. Right. Mm -hmm. And with that, but what's, what takes the work after sexual abuse is how they make you think it was your idea, how you are somehow to blame, how you somehow asked for it. Right. Yeah. And so that's the real work. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that takes a long time. That takes. Yeah. So you've got four years of someone who's living in your home, 
Mm-hmm. Well, she wasn't living with us, but she oh. was here constantly, uh, or she was here. It's not my mom's home, but she yeah. was with us constantly. She became a family friend. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we were together all the time. Yeah. And so you have a female abuser yeah, is not mm-hmm. always, um, the stereotype, but yes, and, and very religious and very religious. So as a mask, so is Ted Bundy. Yeah, yeah. Was supposedly religious. Just can't believe that she would have ever done that. She was teacher of the year twice in the state. Oh no, she was a teacher. Oh, teacher of the year. Yes. So this is my choir teacher. Yeah. 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 So um, it's actually far more common than people think. In fact, um, so one out of every four girls and one out of every five boys are molested before they turn eighteen. And that's reported. That's reported. Yes. And then um, what we know is that out of those kids, one out of every 10 is abused by an educator. Okay. Whoa. Yeah. You can go to Sesame. Sesame. Yeah. Please cite the reference, but I go to sesamenet.org. Wait, I'm going to just um, double check that while we're talking. Oh my um, heavens. I, I mean, you know, you've heard about how, you know, people will choose professions that give them access to an abuser. Um, but, um, I did not realize it was that, you know, I mean, you know, like choosing to be like a nurse or, um, you know, a compassionate field. And I knew that obviously that they would, there would be people that would choose. I'm, I'm not, I'm having a hard time picking my words. Do you still see that? Because it's such a terrible fact of, it's terrifying to hear that, that one in 10 of those molesters, yes. which is something like 80% per 6% um, of abusers. And I don't, I, it's like 80 or 83, 86, something like that, but it's in the eighties of um, how many will be abused by someone they know it's. Oh, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's, it's really very much very the exception. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very so, much the exception to have someone just run off the street and grab you. Like, you know, they show in TV shows and things right. like that. Oh yeah. No, it doesn't happen that way. Hardly ever. But I would encourage your listeners go to sesamenet.org and that stands for stop educator, sexual abuse, misconduct, and exploitation. Um, these people do amazing work. They give you all the stats and the information you need to know, but, but it's a common problem. Well, I did not know it was that high. I knew it was, it was a thing, but that high literally just my heart, right. My heart hurts so much because do we know, have any concept of how, okay, I'm sorry. I'm like, I want to know how many, if you know how many other victims she had and if she's been prosecuted, all these things, I need you to tell your story. Okay. I'll stop. I'll just sit here and try to not make too many sounds. (laughs) I did not tell my husband about this till after three years of marriage. I was convinced that if anybody knew about my past, they would leave me. Oh, and I just kind of had to keep a face on for everybody to like. And so from 14 to how old are you at this point when you're getting uh, married? I got married at 20. Um, my abuse didn't end until I was 18 and I was the one that made it stop. Um, the cool thing about that, I'm just going to say a little plug in here for the laws. The reason why there's a big difference between children and adults is because they see things differently. Their brain functions differently. And from 14 to 18, I can see a pattern in the way I thought where I was getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And all along from the very first time she ever crossed the line, I told her that was not something I wanted. 
I was crying and I thought, well, this person cares about me. She'll never do this again. Of course, I was naive. And then I just shut up about it. But every once in a while, every several months, I would bring it up. This, you know, you said this would stop, right? Mm -hmm. And as I got older, it came up more often, more often, and I got stronger and stronger. By 18, I was like, I'm not doing this. Okay, so what do you attribute that strength? There's brain function, right? That you're growing more in your autonomy. But what else do you think attributed to that? Because there's so many that get more and more broken. Right. So what was right. That turning point. Honestly, for me, it had a lot to do with my spirituality and my connection with God. I mean, all throughout that time, I was, I was praying just, is it funny to say religiously, but I was really I'm like, I'll laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I was reaching out to God, like every day help me out of this. How do I get out of this? I was studying the scriptures. I was trying to be a good person and I just didn't know how to get out. Becky, I was trying to be a good person. Whoa. That was a big shame poopy snot, right? Because we're, we are good simply because we are. Yes. But I did not know that. What we choose to do does not, it can. Okay. What, how do you say this succinctly, right? How, we are, we have value no matter what, but you know, we start putting that, Oh, I'm bad or I'm good. And I have this whole entire thing that I, I set it up and it takes a bit, but to explain that when we label others as good or them as bad, Mm -hmm. then we become this polarization. Right. Right. And the truth is we can do good in any minute and we can do bad in any minute. Right. But it doesn't change our value. Right. And yet what I was saying before is that the mentality I grew up with, was there is good and bad. And if you don't, you don't do what people tell you to do, you are bad. Oh, and so oh. that, that shame cycle sets you up for right. abuse because you will easily fall into the traps that are set up for you now. And your, your mom was religious. Yes. Yeah. My so mom amazing. that, that poop was couched in religion. Cause it is a part, you know, actually, God, I, what God no, wants. actually, right? my, nope. Actually, my mom is not part of the problem. She is like extremely. No, I'm saying they use that to manipulate it, that concept, right? So explain that to me. That's interesting. It really came more from my dad's side of things, who is not religious at all. Okay. Okay. And and there's some things going on there um, that probably would take a whole other podcast. Yeah, way too, a whole different podcast. But, you know, looking back now and especially becoming, you know, going into marriage and family therapy, I look back at my family and I realize like truly everybody does the best they know how to do with what they have. And when they know better, they do better. But unfortunately in that time period, this was the 19, you know, I was born in 1968 in the seventies. The culture was very different than it was now. They honestly thought it was good for your kids to spank them, to shame them, to, you know, don't coddle them. Don't pick them up so much. All those things were get, a different culture to get a certain level of behavior. And yes. I think it's important that we just unpack for a minute, this idea that we have to do what other people say. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I know that concept has been couched in religion a lot, but even God gives us choices. Right. <laughs> um, and so that, okay. So I made the wrong summation that kind of came from that, but I knew that was used on me. 
Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm going, if I God's going to love me, that's used. I think culturally that's used. So, uh, I finally told my husband after three years of marriage, he could quickly see that it was abuse. I still was very clueless about that, but mm. there was something about being willing to disclose to him and finding out like he didn't leave me. He, he didn't freak out that allowed me to start looking back at the situation with a little bit more, um, objectivity. And so you have babies yet. I did. I had uh, one child by then and another one on the way. And so that was when I started looking back and allowing myself to really remember and think about those things. And that's when I had very clear memories of those first times and knew for a fact that it wasn't my fault and knew that it was not something I wanted. And, and I, a lot of anger kicked in and kind of this, um, vehemence that hadn't existed before, before that it was very much excusing her and she's a very nice person and she just made a mistake and blah, blah, blah. Wow. And so, um, I didn't really do anything about that for a long time. Um, finally through the years, I slowly told my mom, I told my brothers, I, I really tried to keep it a secret from other people still. Wow. And then and why, why do you think you tried oh, to keep it a secret? Shame. I didn't okay. want thinking that I would do those things or thinking those things about me. Um, so I just figured it was none of their business. Right. And then uh, about 20 years after the abuse ended, um, it was when all the media stories about priests abusing children came out in the media. And suddenly I had this just pit in my stomach that realized she might have other victims until then I had kind of been in denial about that. Oh. Right. Because we had been, you know, she had been so in love with me and we've been so close. And you were special. Yes, I was special. And we did spend like every waking minute together that we weren't at work or school. And therefore, I don't know that she had much chance while I was around, but it had been 20 years since then. And, and I had tried to convince myself that there was nobody else. But finally, after about 20 years, I was like, you know, she shouldn't be teaching school anymore. She was still teaching junior high. So I went to the school district, Granite School District, and I'll point them out because they were amazing. They were so supportive. So glad. Um, I did have her roommate worked with her. Um, and so she was well aware of what was going on. And so I gave them the roommate's name. She, they called her in. She did verify that that is what had been going on. And she had not, was she a victim as well or? I would say it's a little bit of both. She, I'm sure that she knew in her heart, but could not get proof. Right. I know they used to fight a lot. I was told it was for other reasons. It wasn't until I was an adult that I looked back and went, oh, my gosh, she could sense what was going on. And that's what they were fighting about. Right. Wow. Um, wow. She she wasn't I wouldn't say she was like complicit in it, but I think in her heart she knew and didn't know what to do about it. Oh, man, Um, we humans are so complicated, aren't we? It is. We are very. complicated. Yeah. and, And my heart feels for her because she did get some disciplinary action from the school district, which I understand is correct. Because I, she I allowed it for her because I believe she was, she thought she was doing the best she knew how to do. Right. Which is why we have mandatory reporting now. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Back in the eighties. Did you know, back in the eighties, it was not illegal for a female to abuse children. The laws were written in such a way that it was written for men. No. So technically maybe we could have still gotten her, but the truth is it was written that a man cannot do this. I mean, a woman cannot do this. No, no, no. Women were not even included in the law. Just men can't abuse children. Okay. So men. Okay. Make sure I'm understanding this. You're saying that it was written in the law in the eighties that women were not abusers. And so you couldn't prosecute them. 
Is that what you're saying? The way the law was written was in the language of men. Okay. Women were not even considered that that was a possibility. Wow. Yeah. It's very, very interesting how our culture has, has uh, gotten some insight into how this works. So I'll fast forward a little bit. Uh, I did go to them. I still tried to keep it quiet. The news wanted to interview me. I wouldn't do it because I didn't want it to go public. Um, Also because uh, it was past the statute of limitations. There was nothing legally I could do to press charges, et cetera, et cetera. So I let that go. So now fast forward to um, maybe seven years ago now. And our family has this tradition on Halloween that we get together at my brother's house and we barbecue hot dogs. So oh, whole, fun. the whole neighborhood comes over. It's really fun. And this one year, a friend of mine from our old neighborhood showed up with her kids. And I was like, wow, great to see you. We talked for like 10, 15 minutes. But when she was leaving, she gave me a hug and she whispered in my ear, I am really sorry to know what Jennifer did to you. And I want you to know that she did it to me too. Oh, and my head just exploded. And she walked away and she obviously did not want her husband to hear what she had said or her children. She didn't want to talk about it, but, but my brain exploded. Now, the interesting thing is about one week prior, my husband, who's in the state legislature, had, knowing how all this has affected our lives, said to me, I'm going to pass a law. Oh, forgive me. I'm going to go back in the story a little bit. Okay. I'm you. I am like like okay. dying with Ryu right now. Yeah. Two years after I reported her and she got fired. Okay. She did have her license taken away. She admitted guilt, although she blamed me, but she did admit that it had happened. Oh, you little um, seductress. I know. It. I just well, want everyone to know I'm being, right. Yeah. I'm being completely <laughs> sarcastic, but yes, yes. I, I hope you're reading sarcasm. Your 14 yeah. year old self was just yeah. so hot. Yeah. yeah. It's sickening, My isn't fault. it? Sickening. Yeah. Hmm. So two years later, the state school board, I didn't find this out for a very long time. The state school board held a meeting without telling me, without telling anyone, just kind of a secret little meeting where she was able to come and beg for her license back and they gave it to her. No, even though she had molested. That she admitted. Yes. And admitted that she did. Yeah. Yeah. So they gave her her license back. To be a teacher Um, and to be able to groom other children. Yeah. In the public school system. So, Uh, uh, and I didn't know this at the time, but she tried to reach out to me at that point, um, contacted my mother to see if she could contact me. And I said, she can email me. I don't want to talk to her. When she reached out to me, uh, it was very clear that she was trying to feel me out to see if I would cause any problems. Wow. Back to teaching. I made it very clear that I would cause problems. <laughs> so she did not go back to teaching school. Um, but so she got her license. So what did she, she got her do license. with the license? I found out later, much later, she did. Uh, she didn't ever teach public school again. Um, she did teach like teenagers, tennis classes, things like that. Um, but she did not teach in the public school district or in any public school, as far as I'm aware. Um, so anyway, now fast forward to Halloween, my husband comes up to me a week before and says, okay, I am going to pass a law that says you cannot ever teach in the state of Utah. If you've been convicted of a sexual felony now, even in private schools and things like that. Yes. So she would not have been part of this law because she was never convicted. It was past the statute of limitations. Got it. Um, but it was still an important law that the school district yeah. can't say, Hey, 
come on in. I forgive you. It's okay. Yeah. So he said to me, would you be willing to testify? And my answer was hell no. And, um, I said, you know, can you do it without me? And he says, yeah, we can pass it without you. He said, great. I'm not going to do it. Well, one week later is when this friend discloses to me that she was one of her victims and I was livid. Yeah. And honestly, the next morning I woke up and I just realized like, if I don't do something about this, then who will? Yeah. Not just about her, but about how many other thousands of kids are out there because people won't say anything. People won't do anything. I have to do something. So I woke up the next day and said, I'll testify. Let's do this. I created and your this- husband's like, okay, that's going to make my job easier. Yeah. So I created a nonprofit at the time called the most sacred trust. We're honestly still kind of working on what we're doing with that. But, um, the idea was like, we have to educate people on what is happening with sex abuse and in schools, et cetera. So I did start working with my husband and over the next five years, we ended up passing, um, 10 pieces of legislation that are crucially important to protecting students, protecting, uh, victims, giving them a voice, giving them rights. We changed the statute of limitations criminally. So if you get abused now, you have forever to go against your um, perpetrator. As long as you can prove it, I don't care how long it's, it's been. funny because I was going to say, I, I don't think there's a statute of limitations anymore. And Criminal. then you're right, criminally, but I mean, um, I think that is really awesome. And of course, um, the, the, um, evidence is why it's so important for parents when we find these things out to collect DNA evidence, because false accusations should not be able to be, you know, right. No, there still has to be proof, right? Right. You you still got to prove it. Right. But if you prove it, like I, I can still prove it to this day. I got plenty of proof, right? I can prove it. You should be held accountable. Right. So one of the, a couple of the laws that we passed, so we did change it, the statute of limitations for criminal had already been changed. So that had been forever. What we did is we created uh, the civil statute of limitations is now forever. And then also we created a three year window where anybody whose statute of limitations had run had three years to go ahead and prosecute their abuser. Um, the interesting thing about that one is immediately uh, there is a lovely woman named um Terry Mitchell, I don't think she'll mind me sharing her name. And she was sexually abused by a lawyer in a murder trial. She, her friends had been murdered. She had been shot at age 16. Um, and he had, uh, he was called in as the lawyer in the case and sexually abused her while she was testifying in court and told her, if you say anything, he will go free because there'll be a mistrial. Oh my pooper. So she filed charges against him immediately under this statute that we had passed. And uh, this guy has since become a federal uh, judge, federal district judge, I believe, if I'm Mm -hmm. saying correctly. And uh, he got wind of it ahead of time, retired right before she filed the charges, and then used his power to have that statute overturned. No. Yeah. So this year in the state legislature, my husband's working to pass a law right now the Supreme Utah Supreme court said, well, you should have changed it in the state constitution. So now that's what we're doing this year was we're changing the state constitution <laughs> to say, ah, yeah, this is not going to happen. I, I, um, yeah, I, it's mind blowing. It mind-blowing. is. And yeah. that he was in a position of continually using that power as well. So you've got the teacher, you've got the lawyer mm-hmm. taking advantage of somebody when they're dealing with their friend getting murdered 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's just uh, so much that goes on with that. This is where I kind of, oh. I know it gets a little depressing, but when no, you- it's, it needs to be out there. We need to be aware that yes. people are using their power and influence right, to right. target our children. Right. The lovely thing though, is that these things are also bringing about hopeful stories, great stories of people being able to come forward and tell their story and hold their abusers accountable. And, mm-hmm. and it's very awe inspiring to see the courage of the people. I heard it said this way recently, and I really liked it, that people actually, um, it's very easy to look at darkness because mm-hmm. it doesn't hurt your eyes. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, whoa, I love that. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it's true. It's really easy to be like, no, no, I didn't. I didn't see that. No, that wasn't okay. I, just to look over things and not focus too much on it. Like the roommate to the person that chose to molest you. Right. To just kind of block your head out. And so people are always like, how do parents not know? It's like, because you don't want to see it. And so you don't, and you don't want to think that. Yeah. The, the, the consequences of recognizing that someone you love is doing something so atrocious is really painful. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's hard for people to deal with. I know that my parents also, you know, believed me when I brought it forward mm-hmm. and I give them huge credit for that. But I will tell you that it's probably just been this last year that my mom has been able to let the bitterness go. where I have lived. um, I'd done the work. Fortunately, I had that time and the therapy Mm -hmm. to do that work before I got married. So, um, but man, oh, I just, and it's important that we look at these things, even though I'm sure all the listeners like me have this pit in their stomach. We have to look at the light, even if it hurts our eyes, because the light is the truth. And that truth, shining this light into these ugly corners of our society will help protect our children from being targeted, being molested, and a percentage of them becoming abusers as well. Right, right. And when you're willing to talk about it, what you'll find is a lot of hope because it's, yeah, I'm be careful how I word this, but it's actually not as difficult as you think to protect kids. It takes some common sense, mm-hmm. but the steps are not difficult. You just kind of have to know how abusers work. You have to know, you know, just simple uh, cultural things that you can teach your children. So it like, for instance, in our family, we didn't do slumber parties. Yep. It's just yep. something we don't do. It just, mm-hmm. because that's immediately going to lower your risk significantly. Right. Right. Um, when my kids needed to stay after school to take a test they had missed or pick up some homework, they took a friend with them. And they knew that if they couldn't find a friend, they could call me. And I was sitting in the back of the room, right? They just knew. It's not that I thought their teachers were abusers, nor did they think they were abusers. But we had a culture in our family of making sure that you put safety measures in place. So you don't have to wonder who the abusers are. Right, right. We have have a don't be alone policy. Yeah, you don't have to go around being suspicious of everybody. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, but you just have to make sure that you create healthy boundaries. So after working with the legislature um, for that long and with other survivor groups and just amazing people I got to meet, just women and men of tremendous courage, um, you know, you start hearing more stories than you ever imagined. And people would come to me and, and just want to vent and talk and relate. And I really wanted to do something to help people because like I said, I love therapy. Therapy is, was so amazing for me. 
Um, so initially I became a coach. I found a group that um, was doing certification for coaching. And I thought, well, this will be great. I can help people just kind of figure out who they are and find this happiness. And, and I enjoyed that for a couple of years, but to be honest with you, it wasn't quite the right fit. And as I was working with clients individually, what I found is they didn't really so much want to coach as a therapist and the difference, people don't know the difference between a coach and a therapist. A coach is really there to say, okay, here's a goal you want to accomplish. And you're struggling with that. I'm going to hold you accountable. I'm going to help you set goals. I'm going to be that person that pushes you to do those things. And that's wonderful. A therapist is there to help you heal things from the past that are affecting your present. Right. So you can have a good future. And so coaching is really when you're ready mm -hmm. to go to the next step of mm -hmm. not just recovery, but, you know, overcoming and resilience. Yeah. Some, something that you've got a next step that you really need someone to kind of push you on. Right. And as I was always working with my clients, I started realizing what's holding them back is really stuff in their past. Yeah. And now so, how, how old were you? Cause I know what's coming. So I want to make sure the audience I now, now how old were you when you had this awareness? Cause I know oh, what's coming not long ago, just a couple of years ago. Right? right. 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 So, um, so yeah, it wasn't until the pandemic hit that I was like, I'm going back to school. I know. I love this. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, because you're, um, you're not 20. Oh no, I am <laughs> far from 20. I have kids who are in their thirties. So, right. And I, I was trying to gently get, cause the audience doesn't know you. And yeah, no, I'm 53. You. I'm 53. You're, you know, a total hottie <laughs> going back to school when you're 50 yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. So, but I really have loved it. So that's how I've spent my pandemic was, was working my hiney off on, on uh, getting my master's degree in marriage and family therapy. And so now I see clients and um, it's incredibly rewarding. And because of like those statistics, I said, I knew that a ton of my clients were going to be dealing with sexual abuse. I just knew that was going to be a thing, right. not to mention other trauma, you know, tremendous traumatic things. So that's why I specialize in trauma. Yeah. Uh, was because I knew if you don't understand how people with trauma think and work and shame and all those things, it's going to be really challenging to be a therapist. Yeah. It's yeah. so, um, when I, you know, I hadn't really talked to people about what had happened to me. And when I came out with my book, it was kind of like, well, I guess the whole world now knows now. I mean, I had friends <laughs> that yeah, didn't know. That after testifying at the legislature with all the news cameras. I'm like, <laughs> like so next level, now. next yeah. level, totally. And it was profound to me to see how many people, um, from the old neighborhood would say to me, you know, I know someone who has been molested, but they themselves hadn't. And now my adopted niece, who I, 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 I kidnapped her from her molesting dad um, and called the police on me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I, I always, you know, I, I always make the joke. Like I stole her. I loved her so much. I stole her. And people are like, huh? And I'm like, no, really. I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but every single kid in her friend group, every single kid. And I'm thinking, okay, if we take my friend group of, you know, in the old neighborhood when I was a kid and only one other of those 12 girls has come to me and all, I mean, like almost every single one of them has divulged what they know mm -hmm. about my situation, other people's situation. 
And then you fast forward that to my niece's friend group, my daughter's friend group, Mm -hmm. and how my daughter, it's probably about 60 to 65%. Mm -hmm. And this other girl, 100%. um, It's on the rise because we are not pointing a light on this. Right. And, and, you know, we're kind of naive. We really are. Um, The thing is, it's like I said, it's not as difficult as people think to protect your kids. So that's why, you know, before I even went in therapy, I started speaking and that's why I got into the National Speakers Association. Um, I started speaking about um, the steps, you know, the fences we can put around our children to help keep them safe from sexual abuse. And if I remember correctly, when we do our conference, that was what I wanted, what we had you down to speak about, because the, the conference is going to be about not, oh, this is happening and here's the stories, but to, you know, really go into how can we stop this? Yeah. How can we advocate in our homes and right. our communities and starting there? Because mm-hmm. it's not just some problem that's way out there, you know, in the Philippines or something, you know, right. there it's here. Oh yeah. It's definitely. And And we are the worldwide consumers, meaning America, of child pornography and child trafficking. Yeah, we are. We are. And the other interesting thing is that when we're aware and we're willing to look at it and we're not afraid of it, not only can we help prevent it, but what if it does happen to your child or your grandchild or somebody you know, they can heal from that. And the more the people in their lives believe them and help them and get them, you know, get hold the other people accountable that just speeds up their healing process and it can actually make you stronger, right? Becoming a survivor means I'm not just living from day to day. I am literally a better person because of what I've been through, right? If I could go back and change what happened to me, I would not do it. And I know that sounds cliche. Like everybody says that kind of thing, but think about it. If I didn't know what I know, I don't think I would have been able to protect my kids the way I was able to protect my kids. Right. If I had to choose me go through it or they go through it. Definitely me. Yeah. I I volunteer. Thank you. Right. And if if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have been forced to look at my worth, which like we pointed out before was a problem before I got molested. Right. And not only that, you're able to go back and help so many others because you're only halfway done with your life. So you got work to do in my book. I talk about there's the victim phase, which is obvious the the survivor phase you just talked about, but you bled into my definition of the advocate phase. Mm -hmm. And so the advocate phase is when you reach back and help others. Oh yeah. Right. Because you're good. You're okay. Yeah. I think that's, that's instinctive. The more okay you become because your heart just aches for these people. Right. When somebody sits on my couch and says, yeah, you know, I was a victim of child sexual abuse. You know, there's just a bond almost. It's like, I, I understand so much about you already, not everything. And we're all different, but, um, but yeah, my heart goes out to them and, and they, they know that I can relate and, you know, love and having a healthy definition of what that is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is how we really heal all the world's problems. Right. And so of course it starts with, with us Mm -hmm. and recognizing that, you know, hurt people do hurt things, you know, hurt others. We use the weapons we're most used to using on ourselves, you know, to others, you know, those kinds of things. But, um, I too am thankful that it happened. Of course I wouldn't, you know, 
I don't want to relive it. Happen, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's essential to the strength that I have, because I think that whatever darkness you've been exposed to, you're entitled. And I don't like that word, but I use it <laughs> in this case of entitled, meaning it is your right to have the equal dose of light in your life. Love that. And um, that's a big point that I make and love me too, because just because terrible and bad things happen to you, there's the yin and the yang of this, mm-hmm. right? There's opposites and everything. Yeah. And I love deeper, you know, just like you were saying, like I cherish my marriage in a way that I wouldn't have had I not in a different, I mean, if my parents were in different parts of the world, I would have been married off to him, mm. which is something he requested to marry me. Mm. And my father threatened his bodily pieces Um, (laughs) and it was my dad's reaction to that that gave me the courage months 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 later I think almost a year to to come forward and say so that conversation with your husband what you know was it did you have to like okay I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him I'm gonna tell him or is it something that just came out no, I, uh, I was convinced that I would never tell anybody on the planet ever what had happened to me that felt fundamental to my survival. And uh, one day, after three years of marriage, we were lying in bed one night and just chatting. And he told me something he had done in high school. And we laughed about it because he'd done some stupid things. And, and then he said, you know, I think I think, you now know, like everything I've ever done. And my heart just, just imploded because I thought you will never know everything I've done. I can't tell you everything I've done because if I do, you will hate me and you will leave me. So immediately I started bawling, uh, but I tried to get out of bed so quickly. I was, I didn't want him to see me cry because then he would ask what was wrong Ran into the bathroom, turned on the bathtub as loud as I could shut the door and just started unconsolably crying. And he of course heard this and came in and he was like, what's the matter? I'm like, okay, people, if your spouse suddenly runs to the bathroom, turns on the tub, you, yes, follow them. (laughs) So I sat there and he tried, he tried and tried to say, what is it? And I say, I can't tell you. And he'd say, no, you can tell me anything. And I'm like, no, I can't. You have no idea. And it just kept going. But it's like it just had, it was a volcano that just erupted. And at that point, he he kept kept loving on you, validating you, saying, I'm here for you. Yeah. And honestly, the pain of holding that secret was so tremendous that at that point, I figured he would leave me, but I couldn't bear the pain of of being a fraud, of feeling Mm -hmm. like, like he deserved better than this. My child deserved better than this. You know, I felt so worthless at that point. And so I just blurted it out and, um, he was calm. He put his, sorry, I'm still (laughs) staring. No, I, I, I'm Uh, loving this. I'm here. He put his arms around me. I just sobbed into his arms. He said, it's okay. Like, it's okay. It's in the, you know, it's in the past. It's whatever. 
And because uh, he didn't have the, oh, you little seductress in his head. He had a healthy concept of, he knew like you were 14 and she was in her thirties. And yeah, to him, it was an obvious abuse situation. He didn't say that. We didn't really talk about that. He just was letting me know how much he loved me. And I remember getting up the next day, he was in law school at the time. And I was watching our daughter and I got up and we were doing our normal routine. And I'm thinking to myself, did he hear me? you you did hear what I said last night right and he goes yeah and just went on with his day and And you're like but wait this is when you give me divorce papers (laughs) yeah we're like oh man this is weird and it was like this whole new piece of information that my brain was like hold on hold on everything we've thought this whole time didn't happen so -hmm. what's going on here so I started to feel a sliver of safety just a sliver of safety And as we continued to build our relationship and that didn't seem like a big deal, I started um, being willing to, I I started being willing to think about like, so what really happened back then and just kind of be open to it. And um, I was watching one of those news shows like 2020 or 60 minutes. I don't remember what it was, but I was watching the show and they were interviewing child molesters and they had their faces blurred out. They were in prison And they were in a group setting and they were talking about how they groom children. Mm. And I was listening to this, not even putting it together with my own story. There was a disconnect. Oh, total disconnect. Total disconnect. Which is a survival skill. Yes. And I remember thinking, wow, this is just scary how these people get away with it. And they're, they're telling my story about how they would, you know, find a kid that's talented and get them calls off from their friends and get to know their parents and blah, blah, blah. And then um, I remember there was one of the stories was a guy who was a a coach, some sort of a sports coach at high school. And he was having uh, sex with a student and they interviewed the student because the student believed that they were in love and that they were going to get married and he's going to leave his wife and blah, blah, blah. So they were interviewing her and she was just defending him to the death. And I thought to myself, like, how can she not see What's going on? And mid sentence, this massive light bulb. Oh wow! Connected wow. my head, and I was like, "Holy crap! I was <laughs> molested." And then that's when I allowed myself to start thinking about it, and the original memories came back. Which I, like I said, I don't, I don't know whether to call it a repressed memory, but repressed in the sense of I cannot think about that. Hard to mentalize. Oh, but yes, hard to mentalize. Good word for that. Yeah. Well, um, I put some thought into this, Yeah, uh, you know, and I think this applies not only sexual abuse, but any kinds of abuse. Yes. Um, Someone really close to me uh, was male who's male and the wife was abusive and they would always be like, oh, you know, they're so they're, they're trying really hard. And I'm just like, why can't you see this? And Mm -hmm. you know, there was that moment that they did and, and everything, but yeah. we is compartmentalization and the brain does it to survive. Oh yeah. It's an, it's an adaptive tool. It really is. Children have to do that in order to keep functioning. And it's the same part of our brain that if we live near a train track, eventually doesn't hear the train. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the same part of, it's the same, you know, coping skill that the brain does. Right. 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 Yeah. And I just, I really want the audience to pick up on your husband's reaction. Oh my God. Because that is the perfect way because what happens to us does not change who, 
how we love the people we love. Right. Right. And right. so if, you know, because real, if somebody heard something about you and was like, Oh, I can't, I can't, I can't like you. I can't be your friend anymore or whatever, or I can't be your spouse. That's not love. Right. And you were truly loved. And when that's, that's exactly what we need to do is just when we hear these things from people, take them in our arms, say it's okay, you know, and walk through them. And yeah. so we've gone from, I wasn't going to tell anyone, including my husband, Oh, anyone to being on the house floor with the media. And I know I started out this podcast talking about what a joyful and radiant person you are. Oh, and um, just so proud to have a fellow advocate like yourself doing such amazing things. And if all of us keep talking and keep showing that we can be happy and be joyful and have fulfilling relationships and what they tried to take away, we became stronger there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much, my friend, Becky Ivory for oh, being on, on this, this podcast and just going so deep and so real with us. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Thank you for all the good things you're doing. Oh, you know, we just all do our little bit, right? Right. That's right. It all adds up. <laughs> it does. It does. And, and, you know, for anyone else there listening, um, strongly recommend that you get with, um, with Becky because she can do the therapy and the coaching with you to help you get through that. And, you know, people, um, you know, I do coaching, but I don't do coaching in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, other than pointing them to people like you, I do um, a different kind, you know, of thing. Um, yeah. But I will have people tell me their story, but it does take very specialized skills to unpack all of this. And we need to share our story with people that um, connect with us and have those same kinds of things for sure. But you've gone through the work of getting that license plus that experience and empathy. So not, not quite have the license a few more months and okay. it'll, it'll okay. have the associate license, but it's a education. Yes. But I do see clients and, and, you know, one of the things that, that I would just tell people before we end is that if you are not sure who to talk to, find another survivor to talk to, they are the safest first place that you can go. And, you know, this affects your relationships, which is why I went into marriage and family therapy instead of, you know, some of the other choices, but value yourself enough to tell your story to someone. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I've been honored that so many people have shared the story with me, but I realized that coaching people through that, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, I'm collecting, I collect resources and that's why I want to do that conference is so that we can have this plethora of resources that people can use and that the influence that I have, that I can shine that to people that can help. And most of all, we just need to know that as sick and as sad as that is, we're not the only one. And we can, can make this a powerful force in our lives for good. Yeah, absolutely. Amen, sister. Yes. Thank you, my friend, Becky, for being on this episode of Share Your Hotness. The Share Your Hotness podcast is produced by Van Garrett Media. Lita Green is the host and creator of the podcast. Chris Van Garrett is the editor, producer, and music director. Shayla Dawn is our research coordinator. Join us next week for another episode of the Share Your Hotness podcast. Thanks for listening. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.